Amen. Give Lexi a big hand, everybody. Thank you, Lexi. Appreciate all that you do. And all of our Family Life team, really looking forward to the luncheon here after church today. Well, listen, we're in week four of a, uh, really it's going to be a, a, about a five-week series on saying yes, focusing on saying yes to God's call in our life. Have you thought lately about God's call on your life? And have you taken time to really evaluate and examine your heart and, and kind of grade yourself, you know, on a scale of one to ten? Am I, am I saying yes to the Lord in really every area of my life? Uh, you know, we've talked about some, uh, some funny stories, and uh, I read a quote from uh, a five, you know, a dad was quoting his five-year-old daughter who had a couple of statements for him, and I read those statements, and after laughing quite a bit, you know, I said to myself, now that five-year-old gal, she is all in. She's all in with life. I'm not exactly sure, you know, everything I need to know about her, but anybody that asks these two questions, these are intense questions. Are you ready? You want to hear these questions? These are questions from an engaged five-year-old. Are you ready? Here we go. First question to her dad, are cats made of meat? <laughs> and the second one is, why do things exist? Those are really key questions. That's coming from an engaged, engaged gal. I was, uh, I haven't laughed so hard as I did uh, a week ago yesterday. Uh, last Saturday, a week ago, was to be uh, you know, was a tremendous, tremendous day for me because as a grandpa, I've been looking forward to my grandson's first soccer game. So uh, a week ago yesterday was Rowan's first soccer game, and I saw him in his uniform, beautiful blue jersey, had the black shorts on, had these cleats that had a blue kind of shimmer to them, and he looked awesome. So I said to his dad, Reg, you got to FaceTime me. I just die and I can't be there. They live in Kentucky. You got to FaceTime. You got to see this. I got to see this. And uh, so we find out it's going to be one o'clock, uh, you know, their time, uh, ten o'clock our time. And so we're we're around the phone waiting for the FaceTime. The time came. The time went. You know, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes. I tell Lisa, well, it looks like something happened. It didn't work out. So about forty-five minutes, you know, uh, you know, into the game, I get a, a picture. Uh, sent to me uh, with a caption, and there's a picture of Rowan sitting in the grass picking grass. <laughs> and the words very simply were, refused to play. <laughs> I looked at that, and I, I haven't laughed so hard in a long time. I mean, I thought, you know, that, that's awesome. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, that's awesome. Now, yesterday, we got live video of him engaged, making things happen. And clearly, clearly, to my eyes, he's going to be the best soccer player ever in the history of the world uh, as of yesterday. But, you know, a week ago, that was just amazing. And, you know, I thought about it. You know, when it comes to God's call in our life, in what areas do we refuse to play? What areas do we check out? I think a lot of times we give ourselves a pass. I know I speak for myself. We give ourselves a pass and kind of feel like everything's fine. But what we're doing over the course of uh, these, you know, 40 days is just taking some time to just ask ourselves some really, really important questions. Why? Because we want to say yes. We want to be the people God has called us to be. We want to be all in with Christ in every way and in every uh, fashion. And so uh, each week I've shared this quote from C.S. Lewis uh, because I think sometimes repetition is helpful. And he says this, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you're embarking on something which will take the whole of you. That phrase, the whole of you, just captures me every time I look at it. 
In which area, in what ways in my life am I not giving all of me to Christ? Where am I not giving the whole of me? Where am I not all in? Where am I not completely engaged? And I'm walking us through some, some lessons and some uh, uh, you know, standards that we kind of measure ourselves to to see where we think we might be. I like what Peter said. He says, make every effort to confirm your calling. And I might paraphrase it to put it this way. Make every effort to say yes to God's calling in your life in every conceivable way. Now, week one and each week, we've uh, highlighted 12 say yes decisions. I call them deliberate discipleship decisions. In week one, we talked about about grace. We've got bookmark out at the uh, Connection Center. If you're online, welcome. Good to see you all. You can uh, find the link there. Uh, and then also if you're using the app, it's, it's located there as well. But uh, grace, will I completely trust and follow Jesus? Important to grade ourselves. Where am I in my walk with Christ? Gather, will I faithfully attend worship gatherings each week? Grow, will I read my Bible and pray and, and fast and put God first in that way? Groups, will I build community? And uh, you know, invest myself in lifting up and building up other people and joining and leading a group, those kinds of things. Gifts, will I use my spiritual gifts to serve others? We've all been gifted. God wants to use those gifts to bless other people. Am I willing to say yes? Um, giving, will I tithe and give the first 10% of my income to the Lord's work? Going, will I share my Jesus story and invite other people to church? Godliness, will I forsake sin, recognize his lordship, and live a life of obedience? Generosity, will I move towards sacrificial giving of my time, talent, and treasure? Grief, will I overcome pain and problems in the power of Christ? How many have ever had a problem? How many have ever gone through adversity, trials, difficulty, challenges? Every one of us, every one of us, I mean, I've said this before, and I really believe it. Seldom a week goes by, if a week goes by, that I'm not talking to someone who is right then or trying to work through a really big challenge, a really hard issue. And in many cases, they're having a hard time to rise above it, climb beyond it, persevere through it. I'm going to kick off a new series on October 2nd that deals with that grief one, calling it The Road Back from Regret. Eight Steps to Overcoming Negative Emotions and Painful Experiences. We're going to walk through the Nehemiah story, and we're going to consider what Jesus and Paul and others have to say about how we can step beyond, rise above, work through, grow beyond some of the deepest challenges people face. And I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. Gratitude was number 11. And then glorify. Will I glorify Christ and make him the primary priority of my life? You know, one thing that we have said each week is decisions determine direction, direction determines destination, and destination determines destiny. But it all starts with decisions. I got to stack good decision making, one really good, wise decision on another, because it's going to move me in a certain direction and lead me to a certain destination and result in a certain destiny. And so when it comes to saying yes to Jesus, it's incumbent upon me and wise for me to say yes to him fully, completely, at every possible turn. And today I want to talk about money. I'm not here to raise money so you can kind of uh, put all your cash away. I know you want to just totally give it all. But I want, you just to, I want us to focus not on raising money but raising discipleship. How can we become more like Jesus Christ in this whole area of money and possessions and resources? You know, that area that Jesus talked about more than anything saved the kingdom of heaven. 
Why did he talk so much about it? Because he knew there was a direct linkage between our heart and possessions and money, and if we didn't get it right, we wouldn't be able to say yes to Jesus in this area. So let's take a look at the spirit of giving and the heart of giving to start with. Kind of, kind of the big picture, kind of look at it from 35,000 feet, and then we're going to kind of zero in and look at it a little more closely uh, at a ground level. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, verse number 2, capsulizes New Testament giving. I want to read it first, and then I want to kind of look at it phrase by phrase. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now let's look at this phrase by phrase. Notice, first of all, the pattern, pattern that Paul gives us. The first day of every week. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be regular. It needs to be thought out and thought through. The first day of every week. Now, some uh, may give it the first day of every week. Some may give every other week. Some may give once a month. You know, the point here is what is the pattern, the consistent, regular pattern. Now, let me just say this. Our church is chock full of people that not only understand all these principles I'm talking about here today, but have employed them for years but as is true of any church, there's always new people to Christ, new people to faith, new people to this idea, younger people growing up, coming up, and we need to continue, continually teach the fundamentals, and today is no exception. Notice the next word, personal. It says each one of you. Sometimes we like to say, well, this is a good message for that guy or that lady or this person over here. No, point the finger right here. God wants us to ask ourselves, are we saying yes in this area of giving and financial resources? Purpose, should, it's a command, it's a commission, it's something we should do. Plan, I need to set aside some money. I don't do my bills and then if there's anything left, I give it to God's work. No, no, I start with God. I put him first in every area of my life, starting with my finances, and many of you have understood that for years. Set aside a sum of money. Proportionate in keeping with his income. Now, one of the great things that uh, we've all heard about um, is the idea of tithing. And what's beautiful about tithing is it's very fair and very balanced. If you make a lot of money, your 10% is a lot more. If you make less, your 10% is a lot less. But it's proportionate. You know, it's fair that way, and it's consistent, and it's a, it's a key uh, amount. Priority, saving it up. I save it up. I, you know, when it comes to giving, it's something that I'm very, very focused on if I'm saying yes to Jesus. And so I'm saving it up. I'm making sure that, that it's a priority. And then that last phrase, to me, really speaks to the privilege. So many of you know what I'm talking about, but it is a privilege to give to the Lord's work so that when I come, you'll be ready to give. You know, we, we, we just, it's part of who we are. It's a decision we've made, a commitment we've made. And, and we just enjoy giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The Macedonian church was very, very poor. But they said, please, please, they begged Paul, give us an opportunity to give to the Lord's work. Can you imagine that? We beg of you, let us give. We desire to share in this ministry. See, we know that when we feel that way, we've really grown in discipleship to understand the importance of, of, and the privilege of giving. And so many of you, so many of you have understood that for years and years and years. You know, to me, that's the spirit of giving. If you were to ask me, you know, let's talk about, let's look at the big picture, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. The second thing I want you to look at is the heart of giving, and that comes from Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your, the desires of your heart will be also where your treasure is. 
You say, well, I don't have enough money to get to the Lord's work, but I do have enough money to buy a boat and do this and do that and have all these toys and all of these things and all those things and accumulate this and spend, you know. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So don't be confused if your heart is with those things if that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. There's nothing wrong with those things if they find their balance after God, but if they replace God, that's the problem. Now, when it comes to money, I've been at this a couple of minutes. I've been a pastor for uh, two or three minutes, no, more like 35 years. And uh, I have found through the years, it's, it's one of the areas I really love to talk and teach about because there's just so much in the Bible. And I feel like it's one thing, if you're really interested, you can kind of step up to the plate and say, God, I want to really get this figured out. I really want to put you first. I need to always become more generous and more gracious, but, but I want to be moving in that direction. And God says, okay, here's the scriptures, go for it. Um, I really love how the Bible talks about it so much, but for many people, it's a really, really hard issue. Uh, people become very possessive and controlling over their money. Uh, they think it's their money when the Bible says it's God's. How many know that? And so that becomes a real problem for a lot of people. Others grapple with guilt. You know, I'm not putting God first. So I'm, you know, I'm not here to add guilt to anybody's. I, I don't like uh, guilt as a motivator. What I want to do is inspire you. If I could possibly, if I could be king for a day and do one thing, it would be to inspire you to step up and live up to God's ideal when it comes to money, possessions, and resources. Because there's a blessing that flows when we live in obedience. Talk about that more in a minute. Um, Sometimes people think, well, hey, when, when Pastor Rob or anybody uh, is talking about money, it's a fundraising ploy. No, as I mentioned earlier, it's a disciple-raising uh, initiative. How can we raise disciples? How can we build people to be more and more like Christ and say yes to Jesus at every turn? See, when we are where we need to be in our discipleship and followership of Christ, the money part takes care of itself because it's part of our discipleship. It's part of the decision-making that we've made uh, in the past now, Jesus knew money was a heart issue. And so we want to get to the heart of the issue, which is the matter of our hearts. Did you know that there are over 800 scriptures that talk about money and resources? Jesus talked about it, as I mentioned earlier, more than anything else other than the kingdom of heaven. In fact, if we talked about money as much as Jesus did, we'd be talking about it every third Sunday. How do you like that? We're way behind. We've got to get with the program. Um, the Bible talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. Two-thirds of Jesus' parables are on money and resources. It was a big deal. Why? Because Jesus knew there was a direct link between how we dealt with our money and where we were in our devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, with those big ideas covered, I want us to look in the moments that we have remaining at three keys to saying yes and putting God first in our finances. Three keys, I think these are really, really important keys, especially the first two, and then the last one is uh, kind, of a, kind of a wrap it all together type point. But the first one is this. Recognize that God is the owner and you are the manager. God is the owner, I'm the manager. Do you know how many people have that opposite? Do you know how many Christ-professing people have that upside down? I'm not sure what the number would be, but a lot. You know, and that's like Christianity 101. That's discipleship 101. That's where it all starts. You're the owner of everything. 
I'm the manager. So the question is, how can I do what you want me to do? How can I say yes to you? How can I follow you? How can I be a disciple, a learner? How can I be obedient? There's a parable in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. It's called the parable of the steward. Parable of talent, parable of steward. You know, it has a variety of different names. And anyway, we're not going to read it because it's a long, long section. You can read it uh, at your leisure. But to kind of give you the big idea, for those of you that don't quite remember it, a, a wealthy business owner uh, gets ready to go on a trip, and he brings in three of his servants, three of his employees, and he says, okay, I'm, I'm going away. I'm going to give you five bags of gold. You get two bags of gold. You get one bag of gold. I want you to take care of my investments while I'm gone. And when I come back, we'll have an accounting. And so the guy that got five invested it right away and turned the five to ten. The one that had two invested it right away, turned the two to four. And then the one guy that had the one bag was so afraid of what the uh, owner might do, he buried it. He didn't want to lose it. And so the owner comes back from his trip, and the scripture goes on to tell us that he has an accountant. And he says, hey, you had five, now you have ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've uh, You've been shown faithful in a little bit. I'm going to give you more. Two to four, awesome, way to go, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in small things, I'm gonna give you more. How about you over here? Well, you gave me one and you know, I was really afraid so I didn't wanna lose it so I buried it. He said, what, what are you talking about? Those aren't quite the words in the Bible. Uh, what are you talking about? You didn't even invest it at the bank and get me interest? You are an unfaithful, unfaithful servant. And then he had stronger words after that. The whole idea is Jesus driving point home the point to his hearers then and us now. A reminder that God the Father is the owner and we are the managers or the stewards. And God is looking at us. Money is a test. It's a big test. God is looking at us to see if we're faithful with what he's given us. You say, well, I can't afford to be faithful. Really think about that statement. Really think that through. I'm talking to you like I would talk to myself kind of think that through. I can't afford to be faithful? What in the world does that mean? It really, to say yes to God in the area of our finances is, God, I'm all in. What does your word say? I'm going to be about that now. I want to be faithful, Lord, in small things. I want to be faithful in big things. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be found what? What's it say? Faithful. Am I faithful with the Lord's resources? Again, I'm not raising money here today, but I hope we can raise discipleship. I hope there will be people that will say, man, I gotta get faithful in this area of saying yes to God in the area of my finances. I need to recognize him as the owner and me as the manager. It is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20 says. And Paul told Timothy, he said, tell uh, your followers, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves. Share, do good deeds. The whole point is God wants us to be faithful in blessing and honoring him and blessing other people around us. Stewardship is discipleship. Discipleship is seen in our stewardship. If I'm a growing disciple, I'm gonna be growing in stewardship. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principles, said, I've never seen a mature Christian who was not also a mature steward. Giving is a part of growing. And another place he said, it is impossible to become a fully developed follower of Jesus without becoming a fully developed steward 
of your resources. Some of you know the name Larry Burkett. He wrote a lot of books on uh, biblical stewardship and, and, uh, and money and those kinds of things uh, some decades ago. He said this, giving should be an outward material expression of a deep spiritual commitment and an indication of a willing and obedient heart. So we need to get to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of our heart. Are we ob- obedient in this area of money and resources? Number two, after recognizing that God's the owner and we're the manager, the second thing I want us to look at is to realize that obedience leads to blessing. Now, it's important for me to say whenever we get on this topic that, uh, uh, you know, I just don't believe the Bible teaches the prosperity cult, which basically says, you know, uh, you know if you're faithful, God's going to make you really, really wealthy. Uh, the Bible says Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. And if you hadn't thought about it, he's the most spiritual person that's ever walked. Can I hear a big amen? Uh, So we don't give to get, but we do know that obedience results in blessing. And as we live a life of, of continual, reoccurring obedience, God will bless our life. He'll bless us spiritually. He'll bless our family. He'll bless our relationships. He'll bless our work. He'll bless our influence. There's a lot of ways that God brings blessing to our lives that uh, you know, may be even more important than financial if we think about it. And there is, there is an ongoing... Uh, Reoccurring theme, you know, Deuteronomy 28, you know, you are blessed if you obey, you're not if you don't. I mean, and throughout the scripture. And one of the places specifically dealing with finances is Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Some of you uh, immediately uh, recall that particular passage, but it talks about tithing. Tithing is giving 10%. Now, here's an interesting fact. I have read a lot of personal finance books over the years. I used to read one at the end of every year to just kind of keep up, and now it's a little more intermittent on that particular topic, but, but uh, lots and lots of books. And you would be surprised how many non-Christian, non-biblical finance books talk about giving a tithe. Give 10%. I was just reading through this book on the Crusades, and I had to chuckle to myself, because Richard the Lionhearted, how many know your history, in the 12th century, collected a tithe from everybody in his kingdom, he called it the Saladin tithe because he needed money to go uh, wipe out the enemy. It was kind of humorous to kind of read about the tithe. Never thought of the tithe in that way before. But the tithe is a common principle, but yet it causes some to be pretty skittish. But even as I say, non-Christ followers even understand it's important to be generous and give away 10% of your income to be a blessing to other people or more. And so it's a very, very profound principle, even uh, in, in other walks of life. Now, here's what Malachi says. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. This is God speaking. And have not kept my decrees. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. But you ask, how shall we return? Will a mere mortal rob God? God says, you guys are robbing me. You rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're not paying your tithes. You're not paying your offerings. You're not being faithful in the area of money. You're not being a good uh, steward. You're not uh, understanding I'm the owner and and you're the manager. You're robbing me. You're under a curse because you're robbing me. And then verse 10, it turns completely the other way. It goes from kind of a negative, you guys are really blowing it, to, okay, here's how you find God's blessing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe in the the storehouse is that whole idea where you're, you're, you're worshiping, your local church. That's the idea of the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me, test me 
Interesting. God says, test me in this area of finances. And see if I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will be no more room for it. Test me. Just, just try to be faithful financially and, and watch how I'm going to bless you in ways that maybe you didn't even imagine. If you look at verses 7, 8, and 9, it kind of leads in a disobedience trajectory. And then when you get to verse 10, it kind of looks at an obedience trajectory. Now, notice the disobedience trajectory. Here are the words. Run from God, rob God, disobey, don't tithe, under a curse. Verses 7, 8, 9. And then the obedience trajectory is return to God, repent, obey, tithe, experience blessing. Here's what Jesus said. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, Don't you think I have come? Uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus said, I have come to remind you about what Malachi says and all the other prophets. In fact, he went on to say in verse 23 of Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dole, and cumin. In other words, he says, you're doing a good job of tithing. But what you have neglected is the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He, should, he said, you should keep tithing, but now grow. Grow in grace, in compassion, and empathy, and justice, and kindness. Keep doing what you've been doing, but now expand it and move beyond that. Do you know how much the Israelites tithed in the Old Testament? Hold on to your chairs. You're going to fall off your chairs right now. Hold on tight. I guarantee you. Don't tell you I didn't warn you. 23%. How many say 10% sounding better all the time? 23%. The first tithe, the second tithe, and every third year, a third tithe. 23%. So when Jesus comes on and says, hey, you know, give 10%, you know, uh, you would expect, you know, in the New Testament to be even more. Let's, let's step it up. Let's be, be, be more generous and more faithful. But he didn't go that far. And yet, do you know how much the average Christian gives? Between 2 and 2.5%. Two and Listen, all the money we need to evangelize the entire world and all the money we need to feed all the people of the world are in the pockets of Christians. Have you thought about that? Do the math. It's amazing. And yet, this is an area that is so hard for so many people. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why Jesus talked about it more than heaven and hell combined. Am I willing to say yes if I'm going to be fully discipled? I need to say yes to God even in this area of financial giving. It's amazing to think about how important it is that we truly understand he's the owner, I'm the manager, and that blessing follows obedience. You say, I can't afford to tithe. Well, you need to put foot on the table. You need to take your family. That's true. But, but you need to do, do a careful budget and find a ways to honor God and put God first. Maybe there's some things you don't really need. Maybe there's some excesses that you can kind of do without. But the quicker and the better you can put God first, the more the blessing's going to flow. I know that's a swear word to a lot of many. Budget. I know that's a swear word, but it's a biblical word. God wants us to plan, plan well. Dave Ramsey says, don't try to keep up with the Joneses. They're broke. <laughs> Why do you want to keep up with the Joneses? And yet, the lack of contentment and the excessive 
push for more possessions drives us to want more. And one of the most important things we need to do as early as we possibly can, as early as we possibly can, is to discipline ourselves around a budget. Now, we have taught Financial Peace University at our church for many, many years, but we're going to do a new course in January. And Crown Financials come out with Money Life, and it's a great course on learning biblical uh, principles of money. And uh, if you've taken FPU, you'll want to take this. If you haven't taken any of them, you'll want to take this. I know it's not kicking off till January, uh, but, you know, sign up for it. Fill out a connection card. Sign up online. Let us know you're interested, and uh, we'll make sure that you are uh, on the front edge of all that happens there. Now, uh, we're going to wrap it up here real quickly with number three. I'm going to have the ushers come down and place a card in your hand. I've kind of built this uh, third point around this card, which is really, the third point is resolve to say yes to biblical stewardship and giving. Resolve in your heart. As we leave this place here today, I hope that the word of God has inspired you. I hope the Holy Spirit of God has, has inspired you to take a fresh look at this particular area of your life and to ask yourself, am I fully discipled? Am I walking with Christ in obedience in this area? And many will say yes, and others will say no. The point is, we all need to take a step. How can we become where God, uh, what he wants us to be and, and go where he wants us to go? How can we be more generous, more gracious? You know, if you take a look at this uh, little card, a 2022 giving challenge. And notice there's a commitment on the front. You're not going to turn this in, but I'd encourage you just to check the boxes that apply to you. I'll commit my financial life to God. I will begin, continue giving my regular tithe and stretch myself toward generous giving. I will take the necessary steps to live debt-free. Whoa, that's a tough one. I will continue my stewardship education and grow as a giver. And then on the back, it says, the 10 benefits of tithing. God is pleased and rewards our obedience. God desires our faithfulness. It helps me keep my priorities straight. I love that one. It aligns my heart and actions with the heart of Christ. It guards me from selfishness. Beautiful. It goes on. Then it says on the right-hand column, how do I give? Willingly, cheerfully, regularly, faithfully, sacrificially, bountifully, expectantly. I love that. So specific, so profound, so important. God knows that there is an intricate connection between how I view and deal with money and resources and where I'm going in my spiritual life. I want to encourage you, if you have yet to do so, to try a tenth. To try a tenth, to begin. The Bible says, test me, test me. Try a tenth. You say, I don't know how this is all going to work. Try it. Give it a try. I have found tithing to be a keystone habit, kind of a gateway habit. If I, if I kind of work my finances uh, around the principles that God has laid out, uh, God kind of helps it all come together. It also spurs on other spiritual disciplines, like prayer and putting God first whereas disobeying God in this area kind of erodes those things. You know, I was thinking, there's probably five different categories of people in most churches. Probably five. And here's how I list it. You see them on the screen. A non-giver who may start giving. And if you're a non-giver, I encourage you to start. Start, get started. And then maybe you're a, a new giver, you started. For you now, the next step is to become a regular giver. You know, the first of every... Um, you know, week, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 too, or, or maybe once a month, whatever pattern works for you, 
you know, a new giver becomes a regular giver. A regular giver becomes a tither. You move from being a tipper to a tither. How many know what I'm talking about? We don't tip God. Hey, here's a 20 spot, God, go enjoy yourself. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. How does that sound besides sacrilegious? No, tithe, 10%, proportionate. It's, God doesn't really need our money. He needs our heart. And when we fail to put him first in our finances, we fail to be all in and give him our whole heart. That's the point. Regular givers become tither. Tither becomes a sacrificial giver. And then sacrificials keep, keep growing. Lisa and I were blessed. And some of you can say the same thing. We were blessed as children to be taught by parents the principle of tithing. So for us, it's never been an issue to try to figure out. Now, if you didn't benefit from that training early on and now you're trying to press that into your financial life, it's going to be harder, but it's, it's worth the journey. God will help you figure that out. But, you know, as, as we grow in giving and grow in generosity, we want to go beyond, above and beyond the tithe, and we want to give sacrificially above and beyond that to support missions and missionaries and compassion centers and compassion outreaches and uh, send kids to camp and support kids going to vacation Bible school. We, we want to do those things. Why? Because God builds us and moves us to a point where we see the privilege and the joy and the honor of being able to share in those things. And so just ask yourself, where am I today? And then ask God where he wants to take you from this day forward. Let me close with one of my favorite verses. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Let's say it out loud together. Everybody read it out loud. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. There is something about that priority that has a ripple effect throughout our life. And because you say yes to God in this area, it will impact other areas of your life. So today, we say, Lord, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to conform to your pattern in this area of money and giving? And most importantly, most importantly, you may be here today or watching online and this whole conversation about money principles and biblical principles on money you're saying, you know what, the big thing I need to do is I need to commit my life to Jesus. Or I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I, I need Jesus to come into my life. And I, you know, i got to figure those other things out too. But I, I need Jesus. I want to become a Christian. I want my sins forgiven. I want, my, I want to go to heaven someday. If that's you, online or in person, fill out that connection card. Uh, you can do that online as well and just say, today I am committing. As we pray in a moment, you pray, Lord, I commit, I recommit my life to you. And let us know about that. We want to celebrate that with you and offer some next steps. And if you're new to Christ, make sure you join us this Wednesday for our basic Christian beliefs class as we walk through the essentials of, of uh, Christian doctrine and what it means to be a Christ follower. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for everybody that's here in this place today. We pray your blessing on every single person. God, we, we commit ourselves. We commit ourselves to following you to putting you first, to saying yes to Jesus in this area of finances and resources. I also pray, Lord, for anybody and everybody that's here or online that's saying, I want to commit or recommit my life to Jesus. I want to become a Christian. I want to reconnect with Christ and grow in faith. Lord, as we close the service, I pray for those that might be experiencing financial challenges, 
been talking about money and finance. There's some going through some tough times. I pray that you'll be provider for them. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Meet their need. Some that need a job, God, I pray you'll provide it. Some need a better job, I pray you'll provide that. You know, meet their physical and financial needs, Lord, in Jesus' name. Together as a church family, Lord, I pray that you continue to help us be generous and gracious as we continue to give to folks around the world and around our community. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And our prayer team is going to come forward. If you uh, would like special prayer, you want to stand in for a friend or family member that needs healing or provision or a job, I want you to come. Let's agree with the Lord in prayer before you take off. Also, if you're interested in joining us on a short-term outreach missions trip, make sure you stop in one of the uh, tables out in the lobby. We would love to give you information. Uh, Hoping to go to Cuba, Sumba, Albania, uh, maybe even Iswatini next year. Uh, We would love for you to be a part of that. God bless you, everybody. You are dismissed. Go in the name and grace of the Lord. May God bless you. Have a great, great day. Thank you for being here today.